Our testimonies are more than stories that we tell. They're intentional experiences God has planned for each of us. They help us to relate to others, and they bring us together as a community. They are meant to be shared. This is the first episode of this podcast, and God willing, there will be many more. My hope for you is that you will find peace in what is shared, and know God is always with you in all that you do. This podcast will be released once a month on the last day of each month, and can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, and other popular platforms. Our first guests are Ben and Crystal Woods. I first heard part of Ben and Crystal's story when they spoke at my church. We'll take the time to get to know Ben and Crystal's history, and then we'll move into a specific experience in their lives that has changed them forever. I'm Skylar Townsend, and I'm your host, and this is Time to Testify. Through the trials I've seen the light, testify, oh testify. So welcome audience. I am here today with Ben and Crystal Woods. Um, and uh, you guys, welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Time to Testify. Hey, thank, thank you, you for, for having, having us. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this this is great. <laughs> that was, that was amazing. But thank you so much for being here. You're going to, you're going to share something with us, uh, a story that's uh, very personal to you. And I'm looking forward to hearing about it. I know a little bit about it, but I'm looking forward to unpacking that and seeing God's glory through that entire process. So uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a, a sneak peek into what, what we're going to be talking about here. Yeah, well, we are we are Team Woods, and uh, our sweet daughter Kala was rescued to heaven at the age of nine, nearly four years ago now. And so today, we're just going to share some of our story and how we are striving to faithfully navigate the space between Kala's rescue and our one day reunion in heaven. If you would, wouldn't mind, we're going to lead into a little time of prayer for ourselves and the audience. Uh, so, um, oh God, Lord of heaven's armies, we come today to ask for your blessing on my conversation with Ben and Crystal. We thank you for the courage you have given both of them to share this story about their daughter, Kala. We know stories are powerful connections to each, each other um, as we walk this earth. And Lord, we ask for you to bless today that Ben and Crystal's story connects with somebody and changes their life in ways we cannot even imagine, all for the glory of the Father. We ask these things in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's, let's, let's go back. Um, who, who, is, who are Ben and Crystal Woods? Where, how did we get here? Um, and uh, just, just, just take me back. Who, who wants to jump in first? I think you should jump in first oh, okay. and just let me interrupt and add the things that you want to <laughs> I always think I don't say. have that exciting of a story, but um, I was born out West, grew up out West. Um, at, when I was 11, my parents, you know, gave in to the call to be missionaries to India. So we left for India when I was 11. Um, and my parents had been missionaries there for 20 years before they, you know, retired. And uh, I spent the first four years in India before I came back, finished um, high school, lived with my relatives, and then went to college where I met Ben in um, Lincoln Lincoln Christian College at that point in Illinois. Okay. Uh, <laughs> difference, different differences between uh, living in the United States and India, go. Oh, I when we went to India, I was 11. I had no knowledge of culture or language. I mean, I liked the food and I liked the people, but had very little um, 
direct contact with other kids at that point, just because my parents were at a, a Bible college. So very different, <laughs> very different. We were very um, close as a family. So, you know, my brother and I played together all day long and fought together all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Not much has changed. <laughs> no, but uh, at that point, there was very little commercialization in India. So it was, it was just living in a village pretty much. Like we had a house and, you know, people from the community, we employed people from the community so that they were in the house cooking and like helping us with like language stuff. But it was, it, it was pretty, for me, a little bit more isolating than I feel like... Um, it is here just because I didn't have a lot of people my age, I guess. That okay. Um, so your parents, your parents grew up with faith, or did they find faith as you were growing up? What, what, tell me, tell me about that. So my mom grew up with faith. My dad grew up in a household with like a very little known religion in <laughs> India, um, and came to faith as a teenager. Um, his brother-in-law became a preacher and tried to send um, several of my dad's siblings back to America to go to Bible college to become preachers with the intent to return to India. My dad came to America with no intent to return to India <laughs> because he just wanted to be in America and met my mom at a little Bible college in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Um, they fell in love amid a lot of turmoil, got married and some pushback <laughs> from uh, both sides of the family, got married and uh, uh, lived in Wyoming, South Dakota, all those places, Colorado, um, until finally God was so insistent with his call on my dad and my mom that they ended up back in India. And like my dad did not want to go, but my mom as, as a kid, grew up with only one goal, and that was to be a missionary in either China or India. And so yeah. as things go, God <laughs> has a plan way before we do, and his plans prevail. So Absolutely. That is so true. All right. Now, Ben, your turn. Who, yeah. Who's Ben Woods? How did so, you? How yeah. did we get to this intersection of point of meeting Crystal? <laughs> so I, I grew up in central Illinois, uh, rural farming community, Palmyra, Illinois, um, kind of in the middle, um, not a lot going on, but farming, uh, a lot of that going on. So, um, my mom, now wait a minute. You don't look like a farm kid. I get, I'm going to paint this picture for people. Ben's sitting in front of me with, um, a black, a black sweatshirt, um, and longer hair. I just cut my hair actually. Uh, but yeah. And, um, and, uh, a Wayfarer hat. It's got, it's got multicolors on it. Um, maybe the furthest from, uh, a farmer that I might normally see, but I don't know. I, I grew up walking beans, baling hay, de detasseling corn. Like, I mean, I, I, everything in our community was farming in some capacity. And so I was pretty familiar, um, around all that, but also like, you know, we had, uh, mom and dad had. 13 acres. And so we had pasture, we had timber, we had a creek and our property was adjacent to two ponds. So I'm like walking distance to everything I thought I needed, right? I could go fishing anytime, hunting and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but my mom and dad, um, who I'll say this about them in the next couple of weeks, we'll be celebrating 50 years of marriage. Um, and so, I have incredible parents. Um, they love Jesus, they love each other, and they love their kids. And they love 
the, the people that their kids married. Um, <laughs> I remember, yeah, I'll, t- I'll say this now, we'll get to it later, but I remember uh, my dad, when Crystal came into my life, my dad saying, don't mess this up, because if you do, <laughs> we're keeping her. Um, so Crystal, yeah, captured the heart of my family, but um, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up, uh, I was a VBS, you know, vacation Bible Bibles, yep. uh School, School, sorry, (laughs) Um, and and church camp, uh, all the things like youth group kid, because that's what they called them in you know in the eighties and the nineties was youth group, right? Yeah. So, um, I I have I'm the baby of the family, so I have an older brother and an older sister, and it's good to be the baby. Uh, But I just I have incredible parents, I have incredible siblings, and the life of the church was a big part of my life growing up, my, my mom and dad's involvement and engagement in, in our faith community and in our community in general. Um, and so, uh, hugely impacted and shaped by their faith. Uh, but I had had a plan to, to go to St. Louis university and study perfusion and perfusion. Uh, Uh, what is perfusion? That is, um, basically, Operating, running the heart-lung machine. Um, so uh, when when bad things happen and yep. heart attacks or whatever, and operations and surgeries have to follow, um, this is a lot of the equipment and the people who help uh, rally around the surgical team yeah. so that the person's life can be sustained while operation and, and all those things are happening. And I, I don't know how to put it other than I was just fascinated by that. Okay. Because it seemed so important, so incredibly important. And but I, I, I think I grew up. We grew up in a home where um, financially we were always um, we had what we needed. Um, Mom and Dad always worked hard to make sure we had what we needed. But I know for me, never by their pressure, I felt like I need to be able to take care of things for Mom and Dad. And I remember thinking, if I get really good grades, I can get a really good job and I can someday make a lot of money and take care of whatever. And I remember like my mom and dad, whenever they talk, they're like, they're like, where did that ever come from? You know, I'm like, I don't know. I never, I don't have any memories of feeling that from them, but it was an expectation that I put on myself that I wanted to, to fix things. Um, and I in my immaturity is, I mean, we're talking like a 10 and 12 year old. Okay. Okay, Wow. Thinking, Oh, I, I, that's how you would fix things. And so I found myself thinking, I want to go into medicine. I want to be good in school. I want to be academic, all the kinds of things. And, um, then I went to a summer, um, week of camp or conference. And I couldn't tell you what the preachers like said. I couldn't tell you what his name was. I just remember what I heard, and it was simply, Ben, you've got a lot of plans. You just didn't really invite me into them. And I came home from that week of camp with our youth group just with a sense of, I need to hit the pause button on all of these plans. Cause at this point I this was, I was going to be going into my senior year. Okay. I already had a lot of things lined up. I had the plans, yeah. right. You know, and so you're 16, 17 around yeah. that age, right? Um, okay. and I, uh, 
I just came home with the conviction that I need to hit the pause button on all these plans and I need to be more rooted in in my faith and what I believe. Like I had I I had been following Jesus. I'd given my life to Jesus. I um I had immersed myself in in faith, but this was like a point of owning things in a different way. And I remember just that sense of I'm going to go to Bible college for one year. I'm going to go to Bible college for just one year and I'm going to be rooted and I think even in the back of my head, I thought, and then I'll go back to my plans. <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, it's like you... So there was purpose in you saying, I'm going for one year, so that yeah. you can kind of get back to doing whatever the other things it, it you wanted a, to? It, yeah, it was a thing of like, okay, like I, I, I kind of almost thought that that's probably what would happen. And at the same time, clearly I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and... And so, so God had in, inter, interdicted Himself in in your path, right, and said, "Okay, Ben, I, I want you me to be a little bit more focused, right?" But then you still made this plan that said, "I'm still going to kind of go another direction." That's what your I, thought was. No, well, more so the of like I, I just I knew all I knew is I I felt convicted to go to Bible college for a year. Okay, it was that's what I mean. Like in the back of my head, I almost just assumed it wasn't like oh. I'll go for a year and I'll make a deal. And then I'll go. It was more of like, all I knew is I'll go for a year. But there's in that mind, in your mind, you're almost assuming that this isn't a total derailment of mm-hmm. what those plans are. Okay. Um, I remember telling my guidance counselor at school um, and she, oh, was so disappointed um, and literally even said that. Disappointed um, that you were going to Bible college. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she had worked really hard uh, for me to secure a lot of scholarships oh, um, and okay. a lot of things that would now be out the window um, by going to Bible college. And I just remember, I could take you honestly right to where we were standing in, in the office at school where she just said, Ben, this is a big mistake and I'm disappointed. <laughs> and I remember thinking, okay, all right. But I proceeded uh, and... Um, how did you proceed there? So, so were you feeling a a, a, a sense of uh, disappointment in yourself for when she said that? I, no, I think it, it was a deeper resolve. It was a, um, it was a, I'm I'm gonna I'm doing this. Like there wasn't a, oh, should I rethink it? It was like no, I'm going to do this. Okay. Um, and so, I I proceeded in that way, and um, when I got to Bible college, uh we actually ended up in the same advisory group at freshman orientation. And so uh, we found ourselves in uh, the same friend group, right? And um, got to know one another that way. So that's kind of how our worlds collided. But it it wasn't long before I realized I was supposed to stay there, Um, that it wasn't, it wasn't a long stretch where I was like, oh, do I stay here for only a year? It was, God got me on campus. And I think with the classes that I was taking and the things that I was learning, it was, you, you're, you're owning what you believe and what you, you're, you're unpacking things that you've maybe didn't learn in Sunday school, right? Like, yeah. and you have to own it. You have to take those steps. You're taking the reins of all these things. And it 
it wasn't long before I knew I was supposed to stay. Okay. So we gave this reaffirmant to you that, that you've made the right decision and now we're going to run with this, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So you guys are both, both in school and you, and you mentioned having these great foundations of faith with your family. At what point did, did you both, um, accept Christ? Um, I grew up knowing about Jesus, believing in Jesus. Um, I was baptized when I was nine, nine maybe, um, at church camp. Uh, and so I've always been around Jesus, always, you know, known him. Uh, and so I think for me, my faith was just something that was building a layer on layer on layer year after year, um, and experience of after experience. I feel like, like it's just been growing as, as I've experienced life. Okay. Yeah. I, again, similar in, in growing up with it being modeled all around me and, um, both my parents being just spiritual leaders in our home, um, at, at the age of nine is when I remember it, I was at the kitchen counter and I told my mom, um, this, this was, uh, um, <laughs> she was cooking and everything like that. And we had this great big kitchen counter. And I just told mom, I was like, mom, I, I want Jesus to be my savior and I want to be baptized and I want, and she laughs because, and it was pretty funny because I was very like matter of fact about it. And I was like, I want to be baptized on my birthday because I want my physical and my spiritual birthday to be on the same day. And she, she stops cooking and she's like, okay, so let's talk about this. You know, it's like, cause I think my mom and dad always very much were like, they're going to surround me with truth, but they're, they're going to allow me so that they're not heavy handed in that, that they're going to allow us as children to like for those thoughts and those feelings and those choices to start surfacing where we're the ones owning that step yeah. instead of uh, getting years up the road and be like, ah, you know, like uh, I don't really totally remember, but like, you know, um, mom and dad told me I was supposed to, you know, like, and, and yes. I, and I think for me, they just surrounded us in that truth. Um, and so, Yeah. That was, that was my turning point, but, but it was later, you know, just as I shared of how, you know, when you, when you recognize that you need saving, um, and you recognize what you need saving from and what you need saving for, um, it doesn't mean you totally understand everything. Yeah. It means you believe um, that Jesus is who Jesus says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. And you recognize you need him. And as you grow, you start recognizing the level of how desperately you need him. And so my faith journey from there unfolded. That's why I like taking the steps that I did along the way. We're like, okay, this means something even deeper than what I thought. So, Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So you guys, you guys are in college and you're in this group together, right? And so how did, how did that spark? Uh, how did, how did your relationship spark at this point? <laughs> Was there a spark? Am I missing something? Was there? <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, um, I think we were friends, you know, in all the drama of, you know, who likes who and 
all these things. Like we started dating just the the January of, of second, yeah, second semester, semester of freshman yeah. year. And so we we dated all through college. Um, something I think is interesting just listening to you tell the story though, is that like as as he's stepping out in obedience, being at Bible college, you know, for the time being or whatever, God was continuing to reveal different parts of our, like where he was leading us, like Ben joined a band, which he was never, I didn't know him to be a musical person. I was a music major at the time and I was just like, oh, you do this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But from that um, band came another band and that band became a ministry and a, a way that that God was using Ben and his talents and his willingness, his obedience to just go out and be a witness for him, just to make an entrance, like earn the right to be heard was always his his um, his statement. And so the band was earn the right to be heard for a lot of different people in a lot of different places. It was a it was a a beautiful ministry that just was born. I mean, not really. I didn't see that coming. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you did. I didn't see that coming, but it, it was, it was that, um, that, that happened at that school. Yeah. Well, growing up, I like music was a big part of my life, but I didn't really have any outlets for it. And, and sports like basketball was a big part of my life, but I'm in a community where like you, you either play sports or you like, you don't exist kind of yeah. a thing, you know, that, that sometimes is the case. And so I just kind of kept these songs and these melodies and these lyrics that I was writing in my personal prayer journal and kind of treated it as a way like these are things that are in me that have to have a way out of me, but that doesn't mean they necessarily should be shared. Um, and, and I had no one to share them with until one day, um, I dropped my journal and all these in my room and all these pages go everywhere. Just as my sister walks in, and she sees me trying to pick up all these things and I'm trying to put them back in order. And I acted busted like I had been caught with like contraband of some kind. Or <laughs> I'm like, I'm in panic mode. I'm like, because I'm, these were just my songs. These were just prayers to melody that I didn't exactly know what to do with. And my sister read a couple of pages and just said, you, you, need, you need to share these with wow. people. And how did you feel when she said that? Were um, you still I remember, super scared? I remember thinking, uh, like, I don't even know what to do with that because it was just, uh, you know, my sister and my brother, they're just, they're amazing. But my sister is such an encourager of like, like she believes in her baby brothers. Um, and like, you and you you don't mess with her baby brothers. She's that protective <laughs> older sister and very much like if God's put it in you, he will bring it out of you and there will be purpose in it. I don't I don't think I fully understood that until I knew she started praying for God to give opportunities for me to connect with other oh, wow. people that were passionate about music and eventually all of that unfolded just like crystal said i mean that's the abbreviated version but i mean it it uh it became i mean it was eight years of our lives um and over five of those years it was my full-time job like after graduation um we we went from playing regionally to playing nationally and 
180, 200 dates a year all over the country and out of it. And it is songs that come out of a prayer journal. And so, um, yeah, big yeah. piece of... And we got married in 2001, so right out of college. Um, and Ben was full-time with the band shortly after that. But they, I think God was continuing to build for us. Like, I was just part of that. Like, I went with them everywhere. I helped with, you know, loading in and loading out yeah. and setting up and doing T-shirts and designing things and writing checks and things like that. Kind of like the tour manager. Sure, okay. sure. Oh, my, yes. You took, like, uh, you took on that role. The motherly girl. figure <laughs> that um, everyone panics when they're not there because you're like, what What do we do? If, if like, if Crystal wasn't there, it was like... But built what do we, such how do we do, how do we do what she does? Uh, great yeah. relationships with those boys. They're like brothers to me, like love them. Uh, and we just had the framework of, of ministries just together. That's what life is. We do things side by side. We're working at it together. I have, I am, do not belong on a stage, like jumping around yeah. crazy with an instrument or singing, but I have a spot in the ministry. I have something important that I can contribute because God's writing our stories together. We yeah. both get a voice. And so uh, that was kind of the framework, I think, looking back that I can see that God's just, okay, we're walking this out together, both of you together in ministry. And so that's just been something that has been carried on into our family as we had kids, as we, um, you know, we were, we did band ministry for a while, yeah. then um, transitioned to work at the University of Illinois as a campus minister there. Um, on campus, and then uh, did campus min or college age ministry and next steps ministry in the life of the church um, here in Southern Indiana. And so, all throughout all of those moves, God has continued to allow our family to be a part of the ministry, to be an important part of the ministry. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes in different roles, like sometimes it was a little more behind the scenes yeah. and sometimes um, it wasn't, but we were always a part of it. We always did it together. And I, all, we have three kids. We have Ezra, Kala, and No, sorry, Lila. I'm going to cut, cut you off here sure. for a second before you go down that path. Okay. All right. So um, you've got, you got the band, you, you guys have been doing these things. Was it ever a struggle for you, Crystal, to find your identity? You know, so if, if Ben's in the band and he's the leader of the band, if you will, right? What, was it a struggle for you to, to find who you were in that place or was it always natural? Did God give you this, this ability to just to sit in that space and feel comfortable? Oh, absolutely. If I was the center of anything, I was, I would run away. <laughs> like God is, God has definitely, um, given me the grace of not having to be in the front. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like I am always just a lot more comfortable being right next to the person that the Now this is on. interesting because because <laughs> earlier Ben told me that um, he would defer to you to do most of the speaking. <laughs> and here I am but, just talking. <laughs> but she just told that big she, piece you of like said it, right? That, that Ben yeah. Ben is kind of the leader here. So this is this is interesting dynamics <laughs> yeah. here for me to find well, find I, this out. I I know this. I'm at my best when she's at my side. And so I think ministry for us vocationally has looked a lot of different ways, but it's always looked together. Okay. And I think that is because I think we believe so deeply that marriage is a gift and family is our first ministry. And so all of the other expressions of every bit of it have just been out of the overflow of us serving side by side, running in the same direction on mission 
together. And so I think, um, you know, like, like when we were touring, like I, she will sometimes, as you've already heard, kind of downplay like, Oh, I, I, you know, I took care of shirts. Yeah, I, I do this. Checks. I it's do like, that. <laughs> or you could say you did all of our accounting, ran QuickBooks, made sure that we were financially, fiscally responsible. You designed everything. You you stocked all this. Like you were essential. Like I'm the one who will like, like here's the detailed list of of how significant her role was. Like if every band had a crystal, um, they would eat on a regular basis. Okay. <laughs> um, the ones that don't, don't. Okay. Yeah. Like that's how it works. Um, so, but I, I think that's why like, there's just something about no matter where we were going or what we were doing, there were things that Crystal could connect with young ladies about that we couldn't yes. and wouldn't and shouldn't. Um, because for us, we were in front of a lot of different audiences in a lot of different venues. We played bars, churches, clubs, coffee houses, festivals, picnics, parties, anywhere where people gathered. Amazing. We yes. were we were sharing our music. And and that means you're going to encounter all walks of life. And, and all walks of life believe a lot of different things. And you're invited into all these different ways to sell a little bit more of yourself to someone other than your king. And for us, we... We wanted to connect with people musically, but we wanted to point their hearts to a good and gracious God that loves them. And you can do that through melody, and it can be in other places than a church. Yeah. So um, it it gave us a footing. I mean, I always joked about it, but she kind of had her own following. I mean, there were people that like they liked us, but they loved her. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, and the, the way she would even minister to, to the, the band, um, by being that motherly presence, uh, huge, just such a blessing. So I have this, I have this great picture. Uh, um, we, uh, we call, uh, you know, God tells us about being one, right? One body. Uh, and so I have this great picture of you two as one body. This is this is a great example of what God has intended for marriage, right? Just one body working together under His guidance, and that's that's what you've given me here. This picture of that. So, um, all right. So, you guys have this this ministry, this music ministry, and now let, let's go into the into the, the the children part. So so let's get back to that. Yeah. So we have three children. We have Ezra, Kala, and Lila. Um, Ezra and Kala were born um, while we were in Illinois we're working, I mean, for a little bit of the band. Ezra traveled with us as a, as a four-month-old in the, in the in band van. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, for the majority of that, um, of them growing up, we were in campus ministry or, or college-age ministry. And uh, Lila came along a little bit later, but even when she was a baby, we were always at the college events. We... We're at every single, you know, Wednesday night. We were at every single special event. Kid, uh, students were always in our home. They were welcome at any time. And, and that was just how our family functioned. And so uh, Ezra had all kinds of, of friends and, and felt very comfortable in the church and in these events and with these people. Um, but I think Calla the most just had all of her college friends like she just was yeah. the party oh, wow. the party came with her you know what i mean and she belonged there she walks in like she belongs there and uh even her her uh 
her ninth birthday, uh, she invited all her college friends. I mean, she has a lot of school friends, but she invited <laughs> all her college friends, and like 12 of them came and slept over oh, wow. a nine-year-old's like house at, on the floor and the couch, you know, like just a nine-year-old college Ezra and I were like, we got to get out of here. I mean, like, she has like, more college know. friends than any college kid I know because <laughs> she's just that way. Yeah. And I think- Welcoming our, and inviting, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. Our family's just always ministered together, and I, I, I do believe, like, I never knew that college kids loved kids so much, but they have loved our family so well, yeah. and we feel, you know, right at home in that, all of us, you know, ministering mm-hmm. together. So. Okay. So, uh, kind of give me the, the age span here, Kalanine, uh, Ezra, Lila. Uh, so, Ezra's the oldest. He... Um, you know, when we were doing college ministry, the part you're yeah. referencing, he would have been um, 12. Yeah, okay. 12, uh, nine, and then Lila would have been four. Okay. You know, yeah. Because so. Lila, yeah, Lila got all of, you know, Lila, those first four years of her life were uh, at church. Co- you yeah. know, <laughs> college age, young adult ministry in the life of the local church. So nice. Yeah. Ezra, he, he was like about five. When, when we moved down here mm-hmm. to Southern Indiana to step on staff and be a part of creating college age young adult ministry in the church. So, um, so he had a front row seat to all of that and that made him accessible and same for Cala. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To all these young adults. So, Taking them on adventures. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. You've given your kids this gift of watching one body and then including all these other people into their life uh, and, and helping build a strong faith foundation like your parents did for you. And you're traveling and you're doing music and, and you're loving life at this point, right? So, so we are? well, we, when we came off the road, we entered into campus ministry at the University of okay. Illinois. So that's located. Okay. And that, was, that became very located. Okay. You know? and, and what was in, interesting about it is here we are, before that, we'd been playing all this music for all these college-age young adults, it was a pretty natural thing. You're just, they're, you're in a located setting. Okay. Um, but after three years at the University of Illinois is when the opportunity came about to move to Southern Indiana to be a part of creating college-age young adult ministry and birthing it out of a local church. And so that's, that opportunity is what we moved to Southern Indiana for. So um, it was in... That context, that that located setting, I think that um, you're around the same people, you're leaning in deeply in the same community. You're yes. not packing up, piecing out, driving to another town, mm-hmm. and you know with a whole new group of people. And I think that allowed those relationships to be formed, not just with Crystal and I, but with all of Team Woods. Okay, so now we're in Southern Indiana, uh, and and what's what's happening in your lives at this point? Beyond, you know, how, how do we walk into Kala's story? Um, well, things were, I mean, our family was enjoying life together. We loving were life. loving yeah. life together. Um, just school was great. Uh, church was great. Work was great. Uh, family, everything was, was going really beautifully and God was blessing our time. He was blessing 
um, us in ministry and, and, and with relationships, everything was just very, very rich. Um, and I don't want to say that in past time. I just, I do think God has continued to be faithful to provide that. And still in the spring of 2019, our Kala started to, um, develop headaches. She was nine years old at that point, just in the, the tail end of her, uh, third grade year. And as she developed headaches, we were trying to dig into what was causing them. Like there could have been environmental issues or things like that. Um, but, uh, as Ben took a group of college age young adults to Romania, like he did every year uh, for a mission trip, Kala's headaches intensified pretty significantly. And I took her to the doctor and, um, re and real quickly after that and ended up in the emergency room where they did a CT scan and discovered that there were multiple tumors in our Kala's brain. Um, they had me call Ben and ask him to come home immediately. Okay, so, so you were uh, Ben. Ben has been he's been preparing for this trip mm -hmm. that he does yearly to Romania, mm -hmm. right? Uh, um, and um, then you, he takes off. And how long were you gone? In, it's a two week trip. A two week trip. Okay, so you're coming to the end of your two week trip, and and Crystal, you receive this news, and so you have to kind of go to the hospital by yourself, right? But the whole time you're in contact with Ben on everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so you're receiving this news that that uh, there's a tumor with Kala, right? And how 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 hard was that knowing Ben was across the ocean, right? And you're receiving this this news about your daughter. That's that's pretty serious, right? Um, and I don't I. I don't think I understood exactly what we were looking at or what things were happening. It was just, I was in reaction mode, I think, for a lot of, of that period where just trying to make sure Kala felt safe, Kala felt cared for, you know, we're, we're with the people who are going to help us figure out what's going on. We're going to be okay. Um, so Kala's in there just charming all the nurses, talking about Harry Potter and sharing about her favorite foods and favorite things uh, and her family. And they call me into a room and ask me to call my husband and tell him he needs to come home now. Uh, and I, at that point, didn't really, you know, again, understand. And so I was like, well, his trip's over in two, two days. He's leaving them all back and they'll be here, you know, very soon. They said, no, call him now and tell him to come home now. And so I called him in the middle of the night, and that was, you know, Sunday the morning for early you. Early morning, a Sunday morning, as we're the team finishing up breakfast and getting ready to head out the door to go to church together. And uh, so it's like eight hours ahead, um, seven or eight hours ahead, depending on what uh, where you're at exactly. But it, uh, yeah, uh, Crystal said doctor says to get home now. And so I had to take some of my leaders that I had been um, raising up and, and handing things to just to be constantly coaching and mentoring them to be leading future trips, um, call them into another room and say, I got to go and you got to take point and you got to get the team home, but I got to go now. Okay. Um, so, um, in, in my head, this is pretty serious, right? Um, 
you're in, in Romania, yeah. you get a, you get a call from your wife saying, you got to come home now, right? You, you know, you're leaving tomorrow. Crystal, you're being pulled into a room where you've kind of not known exactly what's going on. And now you're being told to call Ben. So how, how did you both take that? Like, obviously you turned to each other and talked to each other, but w- what was the process here other than turning to each other? Who did you rely on and how did it make you feel to get this news at that moment? I think my priority and my heart was just to get to Cala, just, you know, do the things that I need to do outside the room, but then I have just got to get to her. I've got to be with her. Um, and so that was just always my, my drive to be with Cala, to just reassure her, remind her she's not alone. I'm with her. I'm with you. We got, we, you know, things are happening and we don't know exactly what we're looking at, but I'm with you. You're not alone. You're loved. You're here, you know? Um, and uh, all the time, you know, trusting, praying, knowing that God hasn't left us, that he is writing something, um, but believing that it is my privilege and my honor and I need to be with Kala right now. And I know for me, um, you're, you're literally rounding up 30 people to make sure everybody so you're not late for church you know when you get that yeah. call and um as crystal has shared like the very the abruptness of all of it and the time zone difference and all those things like i um I mean we we'd already been praying as a team i like my my response is is naturally going to be God, you are bigger than the ocean between us right now, but get me to my baby girl. Um, because everything's a question mark. Yeah, like, um, I I remember t- telling the team right after I told my leaders, and then telling the team a matter of moments later, as they're all like, I mean, they have no idea what I'm about to say. And I just told him, um, I got to get home to get to Macala. And so you're going to go to church and I'm going to get to Budapest, <laughs> which is in another country, so that I can get home uh, and get to Macala. Yeah. I, um, I mean, the, the, there's a, l- a level of, I don't know if the word would be scramble, but it's more of, when you are four hours from the airport and that airport is in Budapest, Hungary, and you're in Tinka, Romania, and there's a border crossing, you obviously have a drive and you also have, you're trying to literally book an international flight that day, like that, like right now. Yeah. And so from that point, I mean, I was literally out the door from Tinka, Romania, on my way to Budapest in less than 45 minutes. Like, the tickets got bought. Um, I threw some things in a bag, left everything else for the team to maybe get, maybe not get, (laughs) and bring home. Um, And a dear friend of mine um, took me to Budapest. Um, The team there, um, my cousin, 
Rachel, who, who leads Forget Me Not Ministries there in Tinka, the, the ministry we were serving with. Um, she's the one that was on the phone getting all the airline stuff squared away, um, putting international stuff on my phone so that I could talk to Crystal no matter where I was for any updates because of the times are like that scramble of get in a car, make sure you have your essentials with you yeah, and drive to another country so that you can fly over an ocean to get to your baby girl. Yeah. Um, the loneliness, um, you know, you're just, you're swirling thoughts. I just instinctively just knew to get my journal and write my prayers. Um, so I'm sitting in an airport and on a plane and all these things. And all I'm doing is just writing pages of prayers um, because I don't have answers. I, I have questions. My plan is just get to my girl. Um, so spent 11 hours in the middle of the night in Paris uh, because of a connecting flight uh, and not really being in a position to go somewhere else and get mm -hmm. any sleep. I just, it's like, I need to stay here and be ready to go so I can go. Um, but so you talked about this, um, feeling of, uh, aloneness, you know, um, but as I'm listening to this, I'm, I'm hearing that, uh, God didn't leave you alone, right? Oh, no, he gave you this team of people to help you get out of Budapest. Cause that's all I was Absolutely. thinking. It was like, you gotta have to do, do you have to do this on your loan? You know, Absolutely. all by yourself, sit with your thoughts, but, but he gave you a little bit of a team, right? Absolutely. So, to help you get across the border and to get and you to the you, airport. What, and, what I'm saying is like, you're getting, once you get to the airport. Yes, absolutely. And you go through all the security stuff. Everybody whisking by you is mm -hmm. on some other mission to some other place for some other reason. And all you want to do is get to your baby girl. Yeah. And so there was a heaviness of this is the leg of the trip. I don't have anyone to turn to my left or right to say, here's where I'm going and why. Um, but I think, yes, absolutely. I think the way God sustained through that, the way um, being able to, I mean, my the messages of people coming in were very encouraging, affirming, and praying with, and beautifully so. Like, people went to go see Kala and you because they knew I was on the other side of the planet. Like um, a friend of ours, he just instinctively said, her dad's on the other side of the world. I'm going to go and just sit with her as long as they'll let me. And uh, that's, that's the graciousness of God through other people that love him and follow him and walk with him, stepping into the unimaginable. Nobody knows where any of this is going at that point. Um, but they knew, they knew to just be and be present. And so instinctively you had people rallying around you, rallying around Ezra and Lila and ready to receive me as soon as my feet hit the ground yeah. uh, in Louisville um, to take me straight to 
the hospital and uh, get to Macala. It's amazing. So, uh, so, so God has gave you gave you both this news, right? We we you find out the news, which is is pretty devastating. How did Cala take it? Um, they took us by ambulance immediately from the emergency room to our local children's hospital. Um, and we spent some, some time in the ER waiting for a room, um, and waiting for her to get an MRI. And at this point, I, we don't know a ton. So I was just telling her there are things in your brain that do not belong. And we, they're trying to figure out what it is, trying to figure out how they can treat it and how they can help you. Um, so that's, that's really all any of us knew. I mean, she knew, I think she knew a lot more than we did because she was dealing with the severity of the effects in her body. But, um, like we didn't have a diagnosis. We didn't have a treatment plan. We didn't have anything. Um, so they did the MRI, um, got her into an isolation room because they didn't know if it was contagious. They didn't know if it was, um, something that, that could come and go. They didn't know anything about it. And so, those first several days were just marked by a lot of uncertainty and a lot, a lot of the journey was marked by a lot of uncertainty of not Ups knowing and downs and yeah. twists and turns. Like you're constantly learning something new, but that something new may change a matter of hours later. Like with every update, even if we don't have an update, you, there's an emotional toll with all of it because you're, you're seeing interventions and treatments and pain management um, and um, tumor shrinkage and tumor growth and painful episodes that she's having to navigate that because it was pretty difficult to manage her, her pain. Um, and you see that progress. But for her, I think she was... I would say as time went on and as we're learning, she's not just hearing things like she's, she's connecting dots. I think Calla, Calla knew way more than what I think um, we would know how to give her credit for knowing, if yeah. that makes sense. Like, I don't know how to word that right. But, um, but at the same time, like what I remember being so struck by was, you know, when I got there, before I even got to see her, um, I come onto the floor and Crystal is at the nurse's station ready to meet me. And the oncology team takes us into a room and tells us a lot of things that I'll leave with we don't know. And I remember her doctor saying, Kala is in the fight for her life. And I walk into that room with Kala and she's cracking jokes and she's making the nurses laugh and she's like, she's Kala. Um, Kala is not just brilliant, but bright. She's joy. She is radiant, magnetic, uh, effervescent, just very precocious. Um, very charming, very captivating. Um, she's a leader. Like she's, Cal is the kind of kid that like, 
Um, and I don't have to make any of this stuff up. I don't even have to exaggerate it. It's like, I've never seen someone walk into a church lobby and own it effortlessly like Kala. Yeah. Like, I don't know ministers or pastors that can walk into a space and gather people around in a circle and invite them all into conversation seemingly effortlessly, never in a demanding way, just in this like Callaway. <laughs> yeah. And she's a kind kid. And if she, I, it's never like she was like always on the edges trying to pull people in. There was always just room for one more in the circle. So everybody, you, you would watch these circles around her just get bigger and bigger and bigger because more and more people are grafted. And it's just the way that she is. She's compassionate and entertaining and captivating Hilarious. and magnetic. Yeah. <laughs> and she is just a yeah. friend to everybody. And I think we watched her do that at school. We watched her do that at home. We watched her do that at church. We watched her do that with cheerleading. We watched her do that with gymnastics. We watched her do that everywhere. And we watched her do that in the hospital. Like, there's also this, she's bold, and she's brave, and she's fierce. This is a girl who, um, at a very young age, deeply committed to immersing herself in God's word um, and fierce in her faith. So like there is very much uh, pronounced, like she's talking about how God's going to heal her. She's talking about how the doctors don't know, but God does. Like she's, she's, that's being pronounced, not just in her words, but in her behavior. And I think as doctors and nurses are spending time with her, he's using her in the same way he has in every other venue yeah. that she's been in. Um, and so you, you guys, you guys are, are an emotional shipwreck at this point, right? You've been, you've been told not a lot, but you're watching these things happen and you see Kala living vibrantly still, right? Was was that a boost for you? Was What was that like to watch her, knowing that you're feeling completely different than it looks like she is, right? Oh, it's very jolting. But it's also like, as these tumors are growing, we can't see them grow, right? And so the pressure that they're creating are leading to very painful episodes of writhing pain. So you're seeing her at one point be this vibrant, cracking jokes, horsing around. Kala, too. Severe pain. And you're just trying to hold her and comfort her. And it's because things are happening that we can't visibly see. And so... As that all progresses and as her team grows and we get moved to Cincinnati Children's Hospital um, to focus on being with folks that specialize specifically in the unknowns when it comes to pediatric brain tumors. Yes. Um, we were watching all of that unfold, but I, you, you feel pretty helpless. Um, you feel... Like there's nothing 
I can do and seemingly nothing anyone else here can do to ease the pain um, or to answer the questions. And it doesn't mean that, I mean, they were incredibly intentional. Oh, the, the nurses, the doctors, the, I don't know what all the other names of their, their job titles are, but her team was massive, like, because of the uniqueness. Um, there's people in our, in her room constantly. Um, and she's making a connection with each of them, even as this is progressing rapidly. Um, and robbing more and more of her motor skills. And even as she got tired, where it was hard for her to speak, she, she'd, she would use her words very strategically because um, it's hard to talk. But it never kept her from being able to tell every staff that walked into that room um, how grateful she was for by touching them and holding their hand and heart sign and communicating in the ways that she could. So you're literally bearing witness to not just your own helplessness, but severe pain in your child. You, you don't have the power within yourself. You, you are not source and sustainer. God is source and sustainer. And so the only way to navigate these, any of this is to, to remain tied to source and sustainer. That's what we did. That's what we do. And so you, in, in those moments, you were deeply in, embedded in prayer and other things like that to keep things going. To keep Praying, singing, reading, um, immersing ourselves in scripture, um, singing over her, telling her truths over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And how was God speaking to you? What was he saying at these points? It's just for now. It's not forever. I'm here. I'm with you. Like I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I felt alone or that Kala was ever alone. Like, I think his presence was obvious in that room. I think as many who entered it referenced it. Because <laughs> there were people, you know, we're in a children's hospital on a very special floor with very limited access. But her medical team, there were people that came to meet Kala because they just heard about Kala. So, um, I think God was just constantly reminding us that he sees her, he sees us, he's not left us, he's not left her. But you got to keep walking. 
I think there's something about the desperation of feeling helpless to do anything to help her pain um, that leaves you with one one person to talk to, one person to go to. And so prayer is a constant thing. And I think there's just an intimacy in pain that God knows like no one else what my heart feels, what I'm going through, what my child is going through. And there were so many moments where I felt that Oh God, you watched your baby suffer too. You watched your child hurt too. You know this. How can I walk through this? How can this ever, ever... But I remember looking at at Kala and watching her holding her hand, watching her hurt and thinking, God, it has been so long that she has been in so much pain. Like... You have got to do something. I don't know what you will do, but please do something. Don't leave her like this. She cannot She cannot hurt forever. You've got to do something. So God, even in the awful, the worst moments, I know that God is with us. God is leading us. God is speaking to us, speaking to Kala. I have heard his name come off her lips in intense pain as she's crying out to him. I know he's with us. It's not evidence that he's left us. He has come so close. So you guys have been moved to the children's hospital, right? And then, and something happens, something more severe happens, right? Tell, tell us what that was. Um, Kala, Kala had been s- declining in energy levels and, and her pain level had been increasing. Um, and still they needed a biopsy of the, of the tumors, but they were going to send us home and schedule that. However, one morning Kala woke up and um, had a, a, a significant seizure and that sent us into an emergent biopsy and surgery that would relieve some of the pressure that the growing tumors were causing in her brain. And from that moment on, um, we were in the hospital and they were monitoring and so and doing... 24-hour monitoring. So there was always, at every moment, someone in the room with us watching her. Like their job is to sit and watch her but the pathology did not come back clearly. The neurologist told us that usually the tumors will match up under a neat category, but Kala seemed to be making their own category. And so treatment was still developing. Like we had no idea which way to go, but they went ahead and gave Kala an initial um, aggressive round of chemotherapy um, because of that episode to try to relieve some of, um, the pressure. Um, and that sent Kala into several days of, of sleep. Just. Yeah. Her body was wore out. And so were you guys allowed to be there the whole time? What, what was, what was the situation like for both of you? Did one of you have to leave, go take care of the other kids? Yeah, we, um, we, uh, so our family, um, we, they went ahead and wrapped up school and, uh, like in that, like they were like, 
don't come back to school, right? Uh, you know, Lila was in preschool. Ezra was in sixth grade. Um, and uh, they they were like, as as things progressed in a way that like, okay, we we have to shift gears because we're, we're constantly shifting gears. It, the whole thing was, yeah. but it was our family, um, came and got, uh, the kids and got Ezra and Lila so that we could stay with Kala because everything's changing so rapidly. And then we just started working out ways for, um, Crystal to be able to go spend time with the kids. Um, and I stay with Kala and like my brother would come and stay with me or then I would go to be with Ezra and Lila. Um, and Crystal's mom would stay with her so that we were never alone because I mean, we're literally, I don't, I don't know how to capture the constancy of things changing rapidly up and down and all of it. Um, but our, our church family and a lot of church families, like the church, um, in all its various beautiful local expressions near and far rallied around our family, lifting us up in prayer, lifting Kala up, lifting us up, lifting Ezra and Lila up and seeking to love us all in the ways that they know how. And so, um, we, it was very important to us that, that Kala, that we always, that someone is always with Kala. Um, and yes, she had constant monitoring, but like we, we didn't want to miss a moment. We wanted to be holding her hand constantly, um, so that we could tell her the truths that our hearts needed and her heart needed. So were, were Ezra and how are Ezra and Lila doing at this point? Are they like, were they able to see Callan at any point or are they just hearing everything from afar? They, they did get to see, like when we were here locally, they got to see her multiple times. Um, but when we moved to Cincinnati, um, they got to see her, but it was in short spurts and it was, everything was family bringing them to get time. And so we, we did get time, all five of us in the room together, um, multiple times, but always in a, it's just very limited access. Yeah. So, um, that time was, you're literally having to get to like family is, is coming like grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles are like, everybody's kind of rotating through to hold down the fort in every other capacity, getting to the hotel that's really close to the hospital, bringing the kids in, going through the security checks, getting time in the room. Um, And are they, are you still having to dress up in these, uh, this, this garb, if you will, these, can can you explain that? Yeah. um, When we first moved to Cozare uh, to the local children's hospital, they didn't know if, Cal's condition was contagious, so we had to, um, they put her in an isolation room and everyone in had to stop in a a side room, get completely covered with 
PPE, so like a robe and gloves and mask and a hairnet and uh, like shoe covers and all kinds of things to come in to see her. And so we're all garbed up. But that was a a short period of time while they they thought it might have been contagious. Um, By the time that we we moved off of the ICU and into a regular room in Cozare while we waited for a room in Cincinnati, um, she was... I mean, it was, it, everyone could have those um, restrictions yeah, were left. People are coming in to, you know, they're painting nails and they're <laughs> drawing coloring. together and nice. coloring together. And some, some type of normalcy. Yeah. If you, call, if you can't call it that, right? Her teacher's coming to see her, yeah, her classmates. classmates. I mean, Calla was finishing up third grade. She'd done her state, um, her state project report on Hawaii because uh, she's, determined to get to Hawaii. Um, and she literally on FaceTime did her Hawaii presentation for her class from her hospital bed. Amazing. Um, so, uh, but when you move into like Cincinnati children's, um, like when, after, after the emergency surgery and chemotherapy began, those types of visits, like when people would come, they could not, unless it was family on a very, very small list, they, they could not come up to see her, but we could go down to get moments with them. And so we'd kind okay. of rotate that way. Um, and part of that is just because the vulnerability that she's in, if somebody's got the sniffles or something, that anything could be um, way harder and more complicated, mm-hmm. putting her at a deeper risk than she already is. And so, um, it, but I, you know, she, even when we were at Cincinnati children's before the surgery, I mean, she was able to go on field trips, um, in the hospital, riding around in the, uh, wheelchair and could go down to the lobby to, to meet all these people that are coming to see her from everywhere. Um, and we're just blown away by the way people love her, love us. I mean, it was just staggering. Um, but we discovered like, um, people who could visit would visit and bring armloads of gifts and people who couldn't visit discovered that Amazon can deliver to a hospital. And so we had, Kala had gift after gift, mountains of them, just people telling her how much they love her, how much they're praying for her. God has put you on my heart and I cards from teams and kids of thousands and thousands and thousands of cards and letters and it yeah i even when i say staggering like i'm having a hard time even articulating it right now but i they're bringing things in in droves and all Kala wanted to do was like open it up celebrate say how sweet that person was she wanted to she was taking inventory of it so that she oh could my write, goodness. so she could write thank you cards to everybody and then she was like, can I take these to other kids? Because she's like, what am I going to do with all this? Like we, like we were literally having, they brought us carts to make trips to the van to just use it as like a storage unit for all these things so that when family came, 
they could unload our van and take uh. it. Like, because we. But I would always tell Kala every time they brought something in, I'm like, if you know anything at all, you have to know how that you are loved. You are loved. This yeah. is just yeah. evidence. But evidence. Songs written for her, cards, oh, gifts. What a blessing. Just so many beautiful gestures of ways people telling her over and over and over and over again, you are loved. You're getting these outpourings and everything else. You've, you've, you're still in limbo. How is your marriage doing? How are you two doing together? I think God is just giving us strength and allowing us to lean on each other. I don't remember any moments of conflict at all. We were just focused together on our one mission of loving our girl, reminding her who she is and bringing her to God. That is the mission. We love our family. We were, you know, never, ever wanting to exclude Ezra and Lila. Um, and at the same time, Kala needed so much of our attention and our time. And so I think we relied a lot on each other to make sure that we could be, it allowed us to be in two places at once almost where one of us could be with Ezra and Lila. One of us could be with Kala. Um, and your heart is torn the whole time because all you want is to be together. With all of them. You just, you want, you know, as a dad, <laughs> you just want all your children in your arms. Yes. And the moments that you're permitted to have them all there, they are complicated there's a lot of steps that have to go in <laughs> into the process of that but i i would say for crystal and i there's an intimacy in the pain in that um nobody knows her pain like i do and nobody knows my pain like she does and over and over and over again as doctors and Nurses and staff are coming in. They just kept talking about how strong we were, how strong we were, how strong we were. And I just kept saying over and over again, like any strength you see in us is not from us. Any strength you see in us is not from us. But we are sustained. And I think there's, there's a resolve to be side by side. I mean, you... You think about the, the vows you make. <laughs> and there's just, on your wedding day, and there's just no room for any of that to be flippant. And you're reminded in these moments of this, this is the covenant that we entered into. And you don't, like to me, you just, you walk that out. You walk that out. Sometimes you get to run it. Sometimes you walk it. Sometimes you're just crawling. <laughs> yeah. But I'm still at my best when she's at my side. So. So, um, all right. So, Callus had had the brain surgery, right? Where where are we now? Where where do we go from here? A lot of intense. Um, interventions. I mean, the chemotherapy was unfolding. They were having to sort through a way for radiation to happen. Um, there's a lot of steps involved in that regarding 
not just transportation, but um, how she could navigate travel to a hospital a block away even, like this, all of the steps that have to go in place for this to even be plausible. Um, all of that's unfolding. We, we saw tumor shrinkage. Uh, we started learning, you know, all the, all of the, the neuro, the neuropathologist there, um, was mentored by the neuropathologist at St. Jude, who is the, the neuropathologist that wrote the encyclopedia on, on pediatric brain tumors. They're all reviewing all of this stuff. Um, and they, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, though it didn't have a name, uh, it was, had a 75% growth rate, which is way beyond what they would even stage. So like very abruptly, very rapidly, very aggressive growth. So to see shrinkage was such a blessing. Um, but I, the story that my heart wants to tell is like, one of the most precious gifts was, you know, as Crystal said, she'd slept for like three days um, after starting the chemo. And I remember when she woke up and we're like, her eyes are open, she's awake. And she takes Crystal's phone, which she'd done many times before, um, holds the phone out in front of her enters the passcode because those are pointless because your kids learn those and they know them. Um, skips over to a specific app, scrolls to a specific song, pushes play very deliberately, and then just set the phone out in front of us. Because she, she's too tired to use her own words. But she pushed play on a song called Follow You Anywhere uh, by Passion uh, Music. And one of her uh, oncology doctors was there, Dr. Margo, and she, she just pauses and she's like, she goes, has she done this yet? And we're like, no. Like we're kind of just stunned because it's so deliberate. And we're just both at her side um, in worship because of the song that she chose to play. And I remember Dr. Margot just saying, like, I'm so thankful that she can find comfort in this. And I just said, I don't, I think this is for us. <laughs> because if you listen to the lyrics of that song, it literally is speaking of I'll follow you anywhere, whatever it costs me, wherever it leads, whatever it costs me, like, I'll follow you anywhere. And it was just this sense of like, while she was sleeping, I don't doubt at all the conversations she was having with Jesus. And it was like, Callow was like leading us into a preparation for what we didn't even know, but I think she understood. Um, and I, I look at that moment as very defining for us 
in understanding or in getting a glimpse of how much she understood. Um, and we, but we watched and we prayed and we watched and we prayed and we stayed at her side. We stayed at her side and things progressed. They continued to progress until there came a point where the doctors believed too much damage had been done for them to be able to offer further steps. And all through that, you're having the unimaginable conversations of, I, I don't even know how to say them, like the things that they are trying to prepare you for that you're so focused on healing that God, is, God has got this. God has got this. Like, we weren't preparing for Kala to die. We were preparing for Kala to live. And really, that's what happened. She's more alive than any of us here. She was in our arms when she was rescued to heaven. And we sang over her. We prayed over her. We told her all kinds of truths. And we handed her off to her king. So the father has rescued Kella. How did you prepare for this moment with her? Did she know that was coming? And if so, what kind of conversations did you have leading up to that point? I don't, I don't remember having a specific conversation with Kala at that point because um, she really wasn't awake for very much in those final in days. those final moments but i do know that the entire time that we were preparing for that moment i don't think we any of us in that room ever stopped praying but that was just an outpouring most of it out loud hands on her um and that when Jesus came to rescue her. I think there were people in the room, but I don't remember. I remember holding her, and I remember my last words in this world to my Kala was we trust him. We trust him, Kala. Because there was such a sense of a handoff being made that she it is our privilege our joy to be her mom and her dad and her king has come to deliver her to rescue her there was a handoff there and I remember my words being we trust him Kala 
we trust him to reassure her, her of who he is and his intentions when he came for her. And so there is such a sense that even in the desperation where we could not help her, the doctors could not help her, this world had failed her, her body had failed her, but her king was coming, deliverance was coming. There was a sense of rescue. I sang over her a lullaby that I'd written for her when she was a baby and that she had heard me sing over her literally almost every day of her life here. And suddenly, it's like everything stands still and everything means something different. And yet, an immense pain that you feel physically, emotionally, cognitively, spiritually, like all of your ollies. There is a peace because Kala, she's not, she's not gone. We know where she is. We know who she's with. We know what she's doing. Because helpless doesn't mean hopeless. But in these moments, you are reminded that this is not all there is. And that the worst things, they are not the last things. And so you, you trust the promises that have been made to you through God's word to pull you forward because in your own strength, you don't move. You both talk about Kala's transition um, from life here on earth to her eternal life in heaven with the Father in, in such a beautiful way. Uh, you call it her rescue. Can you explain how you got to that point I think for me, um, just rem just hearing God say deliverance is coming helped me frame that this world is not all there is, that there is more ahead, that that is, it, it has shifted everything for me. The perspective of Cal is not behind me, she's ahead of me, and I'm coming to her. That this world is, is what we see, but it is not all there is. And on the other side of it is where we are all heading. That home is up ahead. And that she got to go first. And that she's there waiting for me. And I can keep going to her. I didn't have to leave her behind. I'm going to her. She's ahead. For me, recognizing that she was rescued to home not, no other place that's going to disappoint her or break her. She's home where everything is, where it is. 
it is with the Father as and where things are restored and where things are moving toward the ultimate day that we are going to be back together again when Jesus comes back to restore the world. Like there's such hope in the perspective of recognizing there is a home ahead and she gets to go and I get to come. That that's that's the perspective that God has just been pressing into our grief to remember that this is just for now. It is not forever. There is great joy ahead, though for now you have to endure many trials. We are on the road home. We're on the road to the promised land. We just have to keep going. And you, you, you still talk about your family as five. You still talk about Kala in the present tense. You still talk about her, not not has, right? Everything is is here and now. And that's when we think about our legacies, most of us think about our legacies, or maybe my grandfathers or my grandmothers or somebody who's passed on. It it's normal for us to eventually forget as they move on, as that time span gets further away as they've passed. But that's not the way it is for you. It's been four years, and you're still talking about this with such strength. She is still here. I feel like she is still here because of the way you talk about her. How have you gotten there? How, how do you keep that going? That's not, it's not normal for most of us. And it's beautiful. I have to tell you, it's beautiful. I think, I think a lot of us live a lot of life like this is all there is. And when that is your worldview, it naturally, whether we mean to or not, we naturally will find ourselves putting things in the past because we're not mindful of what's ahead. And so when I think of it, it's like, if death is a doorway, it's not like Akala is like suddenly not all of these beautiful things that we would use to describe her, she still is kind and compassionate. She still is magnetic. I don't doubt at all that God has given her permission to rally up people for welcome parties. I don't doubt at all. Um, She's cracking jokes. I don't, and I don't think, I know for some, they would maybe see us using present tense language as denial, or <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say to that, uh, other than I'm certain that's not where we live. <laughs> I am very well aware of my reality, but I'm also firmly anchored in the promises that home is up ahead. And I think. You know, someone who's become a friend of mine who has navigated deep loss with his daughter. I remember a truth he told me was he had just said, to be near Jesus is to be near Kala because that's where she is. So just still stay close to Jesus. And it, I love that because it's like, we have to be reminded that she is in the presence of Jesus. She, she is still Kala. Yes, things have changed, but she still is 
And so for me, I, and I think it's imperative that I point out that like Jesus is not the means to the end. Jesus is the means and the end, right? And so I think if we have that eternal perspective that says that this is not all there is and everything is to be about Jesus, well, then I'm going to be near to Jesus. And it is going to hurt as long as we're here. Doesn't mean we won't have hope. Doesn't mean we won't experience healing. Doesn't mean we won't have joy because we are familiar with both deep, deep sorrow and deep, deep joy because of our deep, deep love. But this is, this is the closest to hell that we will be. And for those that don't choose Jesus, this is the closest to heaven that they will be. But someday we all get to gather around him and it's going to be more than just singing songs. But even if it was just singing songs, it'd be good because it'd be together with him. I think speaking in terms of the present tense allows us to honor who Kala still is. And as we seek to shepherd Ezra's grief and Lila's grief, as there is, as we feel the Kala gap significantly, it serves their hearts better, gives them a stronger, more robust theology by speaking of her sister, their sister, in present tense. They know she's not physically with us right now. They know that. Yes. They're aware. They feel that. But to know that it's like it's, that she's not just gone and gone forever, like she's not lost. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like we know where she is. So I think that's helped us have a, a stronger theology about life here and what life will be like ahead. Yeah. And I think talking about Kala in present tense makes so much sense when your perspective is that this is not all there is, that she's not gone, she's home. And I think there's so much freedom for people who are navigating disappointment in life and, in, and grief in life here to remember that this is not all there is. This is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come, that there are promises ahead because it, it doesn't necessitate that you have to stop loving someone just because they have gone on to heaven or they have gone on. You can still love them. And there's such freedom in that. I think people who have to grieve can hold on to that. You don't have to stop loving them. You don't have to stop thinking about them. You yeah. don't have to stop expressing your love. There, you have to find new ways to do it. But that is, that is what love does. It finds a way. And so, whether or not it's in telling stories about who Kala is, whether or not it is finding in Scripture all the things that we have to look forward to ahead, the things that it does tell us about heaven. It does say, you know, my, no mind can understand, no no brain can comprehend, but it doesn't tell us not to try because there's so many evidences of what heaven's like, so many descriptions. When I when I think about heaven, Kala's there, and I get to I get to hope for that, to, like with a, a confidence ahead. I don't have to stop loving her. I can still love her right now with no denial and no, no 
like inflated um, idea of reality, but purposing it and rooting it, anchoring it in the hope ahead gives it solidity. Like it, it, it's solid. It's, it's anchored in something firm. So that perspective is, is what is evidenced by the way that we, we talk about yes. Kala because she's not gone. She's not. Yeah. And she has left, she, she has a powerful legacy here still happening. What is that? What, what, tell me some about, about what's going on still here with, with Kala. There's lots of things that have happened since her rescue. Yeah. Um, Kala started a slime shop when she was, um, she had just turned to nine. It was the, the fall of uh, 2018. Uh, she started a slime shop so that she could raise the money to go to Romania with her daddy to go on a mission trip and to serve uh, the children that Forget Me Not Ministries there serves people, kids who are at risk of, they're, they're, they have intense neglect and abuse and um, are at risk of trafficking. And she wanted to go meet these girls that, you know, we've, we've watched kind of grow up over the years of serving with um, Forget Me Not. Uh, and she wanted to just be a part of that ministry. Um, she was rescued to heaven before she got to make that trip. But as part of just the way that we get to continue to love Kala, we've kept her slime shop open and we make her slime recipes just like she taught us to make them. <laughs> we follow her directions from her handwritten slime journal and her typed slime journal. We um, name all of our slimes, all of her slimes with her name in it. Um, and uh, we have joined with a lot of her friends and people who love Kala, people who know of Kala, who know her and who love her um, to make. But also people known by her. I think yeah. that's one of the most beautiful yeah. things is we've seen her teachers and her classmates and her college friends, people who, again, know of her, people who know her and people known by her God weaving them all together, circling up, making her slimes, following her lead. And it's what stocks her store. And we've all we've done is just keep it open. I think for us, all we've known to do is just keep following her lead. <laughs> um, and at this point, we have made alongside hundreds of volunteers, uh, 2,152 pounds of slime. <laughs> it's currently in 43 states and eight different countries. And over $136,000 has been raised um, for Forget Me Not Ministries, for uh, what they hope to be a, a project in honor of Kala called Casa Kala. And it will be a place in space that is a refuge for so many of these kids that they're ministering to. Um, and for us, all we've known to do is just keep her store open and 
keep sending anything that comes towards the kids she wanted to serve. And so we've sought to do that. Um, and uh, it's beautiful to watch how far her, her slime has gone. But I think behind that, it's her lookout for the left out heart that birthed that slime shop. Uh, you know, we have a Team Woods culture code, our family, and the way that we try to disciple our children. And one of those, one of those culture codes and what we hope to do, when you look at the, all the examples that Jesus of Jesus in the gospel, you see him constantly looking out for those left out. Um, and we want to model that for our children. We want to pray for that. And, and that phrase actually came out of my mouth for the very first time while praying with Kala on the way to school one morning when she was in first grade. And we were, we turned on the Carver Street, which uh, is the same street that we would turn on to every day. And we'd, I, we'd just take turns praying every day um, on the way to school. And one morning she was just like, she's like, Dad, we, Daddy, we should, be, we should be praying for all these families that we're driving by, all these homes that we drive by. And I'm like, yeah, we should be doing that. You know, and so we just started praying for all these families and then all these kids that she would be seeing at school. And it just came out of my mouth that, God, would you give Kala the eyes to look out for the left out? And mm. it stuck. It stuck with her. It stuck with me. It stuck with us. And she became quite synonymous with that language like way before she got sick. But the stories we've gotten to learn from, from parents and from kids that Kala looked out for um, has been such a blessing because that is her legacy. Um, when Kala's around, there's always room for one more. <laughs> um, just the thought of like having a friend that is always inviting you in and making room for you because there's always room for one more. Oh goodness. Don't we all need that? Absolutely. <laughs> right. And so because of that heart to look out for the left out and the, the slime that those are parts of our legacy, but, but it's also opened up doors where we've just been invited to come talk about how Kala lived her life here, not just in churches, but in schools. And so we're getting to go to schools and we're getting to tell stories about Kala and we're getting to call students to, to look out for the left out, to, to know that like, you got to open your eyes to see the needs of those around you, like open your hearts to feel the needs of those around you, but also open your hands to meet the needs of those around you. Like there's, there's attitude and action. And I just can't help but think that she's just squealing over every bit of it. Um, watching at this point, thousands of students um, hear about what it means to look out for the left out. Um, and so those are, those are big pieces of, of her legacy. And my mom calls them holy ripples. <laughs> and that is, that's ministered to me because I, I, I look at a lot of holy ripples. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think one more thing that God has used to breathe purpose into intense pain is that as we, um, as we, I think grief is such a crossroads. Like you can either choose to push God away in your pain or you can choose to cling to him. And he has hung on to us in the middle of, of the worst that life has been able to throw at us. And because of him and his word and the way that he has refused to let us go and our willingness to cling to him, he has just birthed in us this compassion and this desire. We want to ready the church for when Jesus comes back. We want to allow him to use our lives right now to bless his family, to bless fellow wayfarers. And we want to come alongside people who are going through awful and very difficult things, maybe even people who are at crossroads where they don't know which way to turn or what way they're going to move forward, to just put our arms around them, to help them up, to remind them, this is not all there is. Home is up ahead. We've got to keep moving and let's walk together. And so there's been a part of that. The pain that we have walked through has uniquely qualified us to be able to speak to other people in pain. And in that, we want to remind them that we are going somewhere and we have got to move forward. And that has birthed um, a ministry that we um, call the Brave Way Home the brave way home because it is not an easy road, but there is such joy ahead and one day it will be worth the journey. So Calla, Calla absolutely left ripples. She, she created, she was, she was, she was a magnet for people. She created gigantic communities and she still is with the slime, with you guys doing the brave new way home, look out for the left out, if people want to get involved in any of this, how do, how do they do that? How do they become a part of this community now if they have no idea about yeah. it? Yeah, um, I think one of the primary ways is, is you know, the website. Uh, if you go to the, the bravewayhome.com, you can learn all kinds of things about the ministry that's come forth. I mean, we are teaching and speaking um, in, a, in churches and schools even in the marketplace, uh, blown away by that. Um, but also getting to do a lot of journeying with people, um, in our treehouse even. And, and you can learn about our podcast that we, that we have, um, called We Are Wayfarers podcast, but all of that, the landing spot for all of it would be thebravewayhome.com. Or you can go to lovelikekala.com, and that's her slime shop, and that kind of gives you a window into her, but also um, it's it will be a portal moving forward for other people to kind of see some of the things that are around the corner, because I think for us, we just, we're continuing to walk this out. So yeah, those are, those are the easiest ways. I think just lovelikekala.com and thebravewayhome.com. Awesome. And I can, I can attest my, I have a daughter who's a fidgeter. She loves the slime <laughs> and we got some slime. So it's, uh, it's, it's in good use at home. <laughs> uh, Clean, I'm, I'm not, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not the fondest of it, yeah. but, any, but she loves it. There so. are. As he shares the numbers about how many countries that I'm like, I wonder how many couches. I wonder yeah, how many yeah. carpets. I, <laughs> like, but I, I think like what, uh, 
what a way for that message to both literally and metaphorically stick. <laughs> and yes. I, I've learned a lot about slime. I've learned a lot. I mean, I, I remember when Kala taught me how to make slime. And I remember thinking, I've made a huge mistake. I don't know what I'm doing. But I, it was such a mess. Um, but I was halfway through. And I, I will never forget when Kala just said, Daddy, you can't give up. You got to keep going. If you give up too soon, it'll stay a mess. If you keep going, it'll be amazing. And I'm thinking how deeply profound and necessary that is for my heart now, when at the time she said it, I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? This stuff is all over me. It's how do I get it off of me? And it was, I was, I was still in the process. Yeah. We weren't done yet. She wasn't talking about the slime dad. So, um, all right. So, there's people that are going to hear your story in a, an amazing, beautiful story. And um, they're going to say to you, if God is real, if God is great, then why did he take your daughter from you? And what would be your response to those people? God is still good even when life is not. Suffering reminds us that this is not all there is. But it demands that we go to the deepest places to wrestle with the most necessary truths. And I think it is natural to ask why. Why, why would God allow this? I think, number one, there's a difference between God causing something and God allowing something. And I don't think anything threatens his sovereignty. But if we're going to ask why, I think we have to be willing to ask why not. But my answer would simply be, there are no promises that life here would be without pain or suffering. In fact, there are promises that it will be. Like John 16, like Jesus is with his disciples. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Right? Like, we're told to expect pain, but to embrace peace that only comes from him. We take heart, we take courage, we take peace, because he's overcome the world. So to me, we don't have the promises that things here will be as we want them to be because things are not as they should be. We are not as we should be. But we can take heart because he's overcome the world. And my hope would be to point hearts to a good God that sees you and knows you in your pain because there is no pain that you know that he doesn't. And if God will allow it, he will redeem it. Amen. You have, you have gone through and are still going through something that 
not everybody is going to go through and and some will and some won't and they're in the beginning they're in the middle they they're they're getting past it um what piece of encouragement or advice do you have for those people since you've been through it what would you tell them i think the verse that god has impressed on my heart and used so often to speak to me in my sorrow is in Hebrews 10. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward he gives you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will and then you will receive all that he has promised for in just a little while. The coming one will come and he will not delay and my righteous ones will live by faith. There's so much ahead. We have to keep going. He is with us on the journey. He does not leave us alone or defenseless to find our way. He is a shepherd. He is close. He will not leave. He will not abandon. He will lead you safely into the home he's prepared for you. You have to follow. I want to thank you both. This is this has been an amazing conversation. This is... Uh, <laughs> been deeply emotional for me as well as you and I want to thank you for not only sharing this with myself but all of our listeners um, thank you for having the courage to do that thank you for what you've gone through being willing to answer God's call to share this story for others and um, I've just uh, found much blessing in being able to talk with you both today and uh, I just want to thank you very much for, for doing that for for all of us. Remember, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, and other popular platforms. And you can find us on the web at timetotestify.podbean.com. That's time, the number two, testify.podbean.com. If you have a face story that you would like to share, please reach out to timetotestifypodcast at gmail.com. That's time, the number two, testifypodcast.com at gmail.com. Provide your name, an introduction to your story, and a phone number, because it may be your time to testify. Thank you for listening. May the peace of God be with you everywhere you go.